Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of July 22nd, 2019. On the show today, new hotel discounts, new Halloween fireworks, a new walkway to the Magic Kingdom, and more. And with the imminent opening of Galaxy's Edge and Walt Disney World, Jim talks about what it was like when Disneyland opened almost exactly 60 years ago today. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who definitely does not suggest replacing your cat's litter with Pop Rocks, one Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? This may seem like a slightly grotesque transition, Len, but did you know that Milka, the German-based chocolate company, once made a chocolate that actually had Pop Rocks mixed in? I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, my, my friend Eric Craven, he's a Department of Defense employee who's stationed in Germany, introduced me to these Wait, things. Wait, hold on. Did you go Department of Defense employee in air quotes when you said it? <laughs> on advice of counsel, Len. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Anyway, Eric, anyway, what did he do? <laughs> okay, so anyway, he introduced me to these things a few years back, and since... I've reached a point in my life where, you know, I don't necessarily enjoy placing things in my mouth that explode. I would hand these off to Alice, and she got hooked on Milka bars so much so that when Milka stopped making these chocolate bars with Pop Rocks in them, she searched and searched online until she found a company in Israel that now makes them. Can <laughs> see that's the thing. I I heard that, and all I can think of is there's a there's a Mel Brooks joke. There's in a Mel there. Brooks joke in here somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> Germany, Israel, Pop Rocks. There's a there's a joke, and I don't know exactly how it's going to work. There we go. So we'll just leave that there then. All right. All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Jeff O, Roger K, and Tommy H, and longtime subscribers Dean K, Mike S. And Carson Z. True story, Jim. All of them have volunteered as crash test dummies for Disney's new Skyliner system. Part of that role includes saying, Do I get fast passes for this as they're evacuated in the middle of Hourglass Lake? Gentlemen, America thanks you for your service. We're going to talk more about the Skyliner in a minute, too, right, Jim? Sure. Yep. And speaking of that, let's do the Disney Dish News. Don't forget, folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast, for a worry free travel experience every time. Book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, new Halloween party fireworks show have come to the Magic Kingdom. I think you and I talked about this last year because I went to Not So Scary. And the thing that I said was great entertainment, fun, festive atmosphere, candy at the wazoo. But as far as casual projection shows go, they hadn't updated this thing in many, many years. Now they have. Jim, why an upgrade now? Last year, we had the first of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection and began Ooh. collecting a 25% right. tariff on stuff coming out of China. And That's right. There's a, a big, uh, there's big concern about how it would affect 4th of July this year. And so okay. Disney has all of these custom pyro shells that they use in the parks and the resorts. And of the $2 billion worth of things that are now being tariffed. $200 billion. $200 yeah. Billion. yeah. They include the fireworks shells. And... The nightly costs for these things vary. You know, they run as high as $55,000 per show, sometimes as low as 41000 Still, I mean, twelve grand a day, 10 to 12 grand a day, you know, you know, pretty soon you're talking about real money. And then when you look at a show like Wishes, which made use of 683 shells, Illumination still uses 750 shells, Len. This is kind of why you've watched the Disney's nighttime shows at the park shift away to more projection-based entertainments, where the fireworks punctuates the action rather than drives the show. Right, it's the spice, not the substance. There we go. But anyway, Disney buys all of its shells in bulk. In fact, out ahead of the May 12th, debut of Happily Ever After in 2017, I was told that 
Disney had six months worth of custom shells on the ground on property in that bunker and they had another full year's worth of replacements on order but again you eventually run through this stuff and so mm-hmm. when they were eyeballing hollow wishes it was just sort of like we have all of this projection equipment we put in place in 2017 for happily ever after mm-hmm. so let's do it so first showing of this thing is august 16th lennon it's gonna be halloween in three weeks jim <laughs> One, yeah, three weeks and change, yeah. It's 91 <laughs> degrees today and 56% humidity. It's a hundred, it feels like 100 degrees with the humidity, yeah. In three weeks, people are going to be walking around the park collecting Halloween candy, which is going to melt inside of its wrappers. I don't care how good the people at M&M are. You know, there's there's no way that the candy doesn't melt at 100 degree temperature. The only way it makes any sense at this point is you collect all the candy, you bring it back to your hotel room, throw it into the mini fridge, and then bring it home, put it on the mantle, and call it an art installation. <laughs> I call this rampant consumerism. <laughs> Rampant Consumerism 1. There we go. <laughs> a, a series. <laughs> Jim Hill, comma, mixed media. <laughs> 2019. <laughs> it's the combination there of Disney trying to get more eco-friendly. I mean, face it, it's compressed air that's throwing the shells up into the air. It's still, yeah. and this is the green Disney. And also coupled with the fact that it's just because of what's going on between the United States and China, it's a little harder to get the shells. So it's like, okay, this was kind of an incentive to finally nudge, you know, it's time to stop doing hollow wishes and let's do a show that is really more projection based. So here we are. Yeah, that's uh, fantastic. All right, Jim, moving on to uh, to the second piece of news and probably the one I think that was the most surprising this week. Disney announced free dining offers for the uh, virtually the rest of... Uh, fall and winter of 2019. It's valid for September 1st, most days, September 1st through December 23rd, with only a few exceptions around Thanksgiving and a little bit in October is, uh, is obviously out. All the deluxe resorts uh, have the availability, value and moderate resorts, get the quick service dining plan. And you also have a, there's a minimum four night stay at the hotel and a four day theme park ticket that you need with a park hopper option. So, so pretty high restrictions on uh, our pretty high qualifications for what you need for the state. But still, Jim, we didn't think free dining was going to happen this year. I didn't think free. No. And was it just yesterday that USA Today actually had aerial photography of Galaxy's Edge showing how light the crowds were? I'm I'm not going to say I was contacted by USA Today. I'm not going to say I wasn't either. Okay, there we go. (laughs) There there may be a follow-up story for that, just saying. All right. There's been a lot of discussion lately in Disney Parks and Resorts about mixed messages, about Disney honestly thought that at this point people would be out there evangelizing about how cool it was to be flying the Millennium Falcon or or throwing back a blue bantha at Oga's Cantina. But but instead, it's totally by accident, but it's because of, well, the only way you're going to get into Galaxy's Edge is if you have a reservation in advance, and it's only going to allow you to get in there for four hours. And And then you have to leave. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the the talk about crowds, I specifically thought the crowds were going to be much larger than they were. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that scared a lot of people off. It did. And in late August, the Disney Deluxe pass holders will be able to get back in. And then yeah. uh, California Select just a few weeks after that. And Yeah, that'll help. And, and crowds have bounced back a little bit. Like over the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. um, crowds have been about average in Disneyland for this time of year. I think the thing that Disney didn't count on was the soft reaction to Galaxy's Edge. Like again, Millennium Falcon, I, I, know, that, I know that there are opinions. Lots of people love it. It mm-hmm. is just fine. 
for yep. a ride. It definitely mm -hmm. did not live up to mm -hmm. the expectation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not there. And I think the larger fact though is the land opened with one ride. Mm -hmm. All of the good experiences cost between $100 and $200 more. Mm -hmm. If you've got a family with two kids, yeah, there's, uh, a, and you want, uh, there's an extra two to $400 right there on top of admission. And admission was already expensive. And I think people are look at that, looking at that and saying, you know what, for so-so for reviews of mm -hmm. one ride and upcharges for everything else, I don't need to see it that bad. If you look at what Walt Disney World is trying to do on the heels of what happened this summer with Anaheim's version of Galaxy's Edge, they are so determined that there is no mixed message. Let's get the cast members in there and let's make sure that our annual pass holders get in there before opening so oh, yeah. everybody can be evangelizing about oh, yeah. how cool it is to be inside of this hyper-detailed, incredibly immersive land. We talked about this. I think for Disneyland, Park Ops did a fantastic job of handling they the did. content. Where they, they did. They could not have gone better. Mm -hmm. in Disneyland. And if the world goes the same way, that's fine. We'll talk a in a minute about the preview dates are going to be, but going back to Disneyland, I've heard that resort occupancy mm -hmm. is down more than 10% for the rest of the year. So advanced bookings. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Len, it is not a coincidence that the Main Street Electrical Parade suddenly, hey, hey, remember when it was glowing away? Well, it's back. And get Dancing out. cows. Folks. Yeah, Dancing cows. Go. Anything. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say too, and I, talked, I spoke to some travel agents yesterday about Walt Disney World's free dining offer is that the number of rooms uh, mm -hmm. available at each resort is fairly limited at this point. Okay. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see another round of rooms released okay. for this if this doesn't do exactly what they uh, exactly what they what they what Disney wants no. it to do. And I, I did notice that all of October is blocked blocked out. Why is all of October blocked out? That I can't tell you. Middle of September, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I guess towards the end of that, you're getting to you know, the illumination stuff. But mm -hmm. you you basically got a two month stretch between September and November where everything's blocked out. So maybe everything was already, they already had decent coverage, uh, decent bookings then. Can food and wine actually do that? Yeah, maybe. Okay. I was surprised to see two other things though in this. Number one, I was surprised to see that the new Grand Destino Tower at Coronado Springs had not only its regular rooms, but its club level rooms included in this free dining, but mm -hmm. also the Riviera Resort, which opens December 16th. Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be like Disney's second best upscale resort. That also has free dining. Like, wow. Dude, it hasn't even opened yet. Why are we getting discounts? Is this plain old too much inventory without the belief that they have attractions that can power this? I mean... Well, but that's three days after Rise of the Resistance is supposed to open. There's a disconnect here. I don't entirely understand it. Disney is, is spooked by what's happened with Galaxy's Edge. So, All right. Like I said, the uh, I was surprised that the announcement came out. In talking to travel agents, it looks like the amount of inventory that they made available is relatively limited at this point. So it's mm -hmm. not the sort of full-scale discount thing that we'd seen in years past. This is very limited. I think maybe they're just trying to fill in some gaps. We'll see okay. what uh, what happens. That's All right, Jim, okay. uh, other news. The mm -hmm. Disney Skylander gondola system has an official opening date now of September 29th. But Jim, well, parts of it opened before that. And I ask because the Hollywood studio sections seem to be really well tested. And they've also been doing static load line tests at Epcot where the gondolas essentially sit for 24 hours on the line. Nothing looks like it's collapsed since yeah. Monday when I walked by them. Did you see those images that came up online where they showed Reedy Creek actually practicing for should the system go down and should the cabs stall in place, how they get the guests out of these yeah. things? They're going to be making overtime shifts available for cast members who are willing to just basically 
ride the Skyliner for an eight-hour shift while the cast members who work in the stations practice the load-on-load procedures. Oh, I think that'd be great. I think they should, though, practice... I think they should do two things. One, if they're going to practice the rescue, they should do it at night in the rain. <laughs> just, just to make sure... Because it's going to... I mean, it rains at night in Florida, right? We all know that. Okay. But number two... I've joked about this with our friend Scott Sanders of the Disney Cruise Line blog. Mm-hmm. Whenever Disney practices its man overboard or its lifeboat drills on the Disney Cruise Line, I always like to to say that they should practice with real guests who'd be complaining about Wi-Fi service and asking <laughs> when the buffet is going to open on the lifeboat. <laughs> I think they should do the same uh, sort of thing in this Skyliner. <laughs> okay, there we go. And better yet, get Jerry Bruckheimer to shoot the whole thing. Yeah, I know. Oh my God, here comes Bruce Willis. Okay, he's going to save us. So, Tom Cruise. The, I, I, will, I will say uh, our statistician Fred was in upstate New York last week and got to ride a gondola system made by the exact same company that uh, is producing Disney's gondola system. And Fred says that, you know, granted he was in upstate New York, where, mm-hmm. which is not central Florida, but it's one, it was one of those gondolas that had ventilation on all four sides. And again, he was in the mountains, so not the same amount of humidity or, or anything. But he said it was above 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. And for the short trip that he took on the gondola, he was not overcome with heat. Oh, okay. So that's that's promising. We'll see. What, again, it's not in Florida. It's in upstate New York, but we'll see what happens. Okay. All right, Jim, one more thing. And it, mm-hmm. this is the most surprising thing that was announced last week. One of our friends over at WDWmagic.com, alert user, some internet guy, found a construction permit named Grand Floridian Walkway to Magic Kingdom, which Disney later confirmed is actually a walkway from the Grand Floridian to the Magic Kingdom. Did not see that one coming, Jim. Mm-hmm. But we know that the main reason for the walkway, the main reason for they're not being a walkway right now is because there's a canal that houses the electrical water pageant that sits between the Grand Floridian and the Magic Kingdom. Jim, what's going to happen with the electrical water pageant now that uh, this walkway is going to get built? I've heard a couple of things. The electrical water pageant was created for the grand opening event, that three and four day thing that they did in late October of 1971. It was only yep. supposed to entertain folks who were attending a one night luau. Yeah, it's a three hour tour of uh, of Disney uh, Disney wa- water based entertainment. <laughs> you know, Christmas lights and chicken wire, and it's survived ever since. And in much the same way that Illuminations is getting an update, I've been hearing that there's an upgrade in the works for electrical water pageant out ahead of Disney's 50th anniversary celebration in 2020. And supposedly they're talking about adding a Moana section. And you've probably been following the news this week about Javier Bardem as King Triton and Harry Styles as Prince Eric in the, the new live action mermaid. That oh, Disney they cast Harry Styles. That's fantastic. From One Direction. There we go. All right. Good for him. Depending on how that's received, because there's some new songs going into that as well that Alan Menken and Lane Manuel Miranda are writing. Oh, those guys. Oh. <laughs> you know how if you see Disneyland's updated version of Fantasmic, the one that they launched in July of 2017, there's still all these sections that nod to the original show from 92? Yeah, some old parts, some new parts. It's like Wonders of China, Reflections of China. And- That's it, exactly. So yeah, it, it, yeah. they still want to honor certain sections of the original electrical water pageant. So that's 2020. And remember the announcement in March of this year, how, oh, by the way, you know, you, your commemorative walk around the world brick. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, how, yeah. yeah. How those are all being torn up. And in fact, through August 31st, 
You can go to the Tomorrowland Power and Light Company and they'll for $10, they'll sell you a copy of your brick. But all of those are getting torn up. How much you want to bet that we're going to be suddenly seeing offers for new paving stones that go to the new and improved version of the walk around the world? I mean, I'm just saying, if you have to pay for it, you have to pay for it. All right, Jim, two quick things on this. Mm-hmm. One, I do note that there is an expansion pad immediately to the left of the Magic Kingdom mm-hmm. along this walkway, maybe big enough for a very small DVC resort. <laughs> If you look at the, and again, thank you to everybody on WDW Magic who posted, who pointed this out, but there is actually a sliver of land just past the expansion pad behind Pirates of the Caribbean that looks to be big enough to put a very small resort back there. I'm just saying, Jim. Okay. Okay. Remember how, you know, for example, as you're traveling around Epcot, going past the UK and headed to France, there's that weird little island space where they do the themed dessert events and that sort of thing. Yes, I was. Uh, that's where I stood for July 4th to watch the fireworks. There has evidently been some discussion, because remember, we're finally going to connect the Magic Kingdom to the Grand Floridian, and this is one of the deluxe resorts, and the whole notion of wouldn't it be cool if there was now a space where guests could have your dessert party, where you could watch... The electrical water pageant from, uh, you know, you could have an additional oh. s- additional space that you could make available to people who, for the Disney wedding pavilion. Would it be inside or outside the Magic Kingdom, you think? Magic 8-Ball says... Well, it, with enough iron fencing, Jim, you can make it both inside and outside, right? There we go. With, there with we enough go. gateways. With enough, huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of that, but an, oh, an electrical water pageant dessert party. If you're paying $5,000, $10,000 to rent this space, you got to upgrade from the chicken-wired Christmas lights, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> you mentioned that. So I want to go back on this. This is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. Would you say that Disney's talking about doing an upgrade to the electrical water pageant? Jim, the electrical water pageant is a pontoon boat mm-hmm. with chicken wire mm-hmm. and Christmas lights. I mean, the mere fact that anyone's talking about it means they probably spent more money talking about it. Than, they, than it would cost to actually upgrade it. This is the kind of thing where you get some sororities, some fraternities on like a Saturday and it's their public service project, right? <laughs> you get some hammers, some nails, there we go. you send them to Lowe's, yeah. voila, it's mm-hmm. done, right? I mean, this is not a major construction effort here. You and I could probably do this. Oh, no doubt. I think this, what's the show with Amy Poehler where they, where they, build, they build craft items? <laughs> Well, I think nail, mostly nail that nail involves nail pipe it? cleaners, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> What's the name of the show? I think it's... It, nailed it, yes. Nailed it. This has to be... This This is that show. In fact, this thing is just Emmy nominated just this week. It's odd. Yeah. Somebody contact Amy Poehler. Jim and I will be happy to volunteer for this. You're in charge of the fondant, Len. <laughs> of course. All right, Jim, uh, real quick. Speaking of Galaxy's Edge, I hear that uh, cast member previews run August 1st through August 16th. I know there's a private event scheduled for August 25th. Does this mean uh, annual pass holder previews August 18th through the 24th? That's what I've been hearing. Okay. I don't think there's going to be a major media event in World for Galaxy's Edge until late November, right before Rise of the Resistance opens. So it's not out of the question that we might see a soft opening too, sometime between the 26th and the 28th. When Disneyland Park did its press event for Galaxy's Edge. It concentrated on the domestic press, because remember, Disneyland is basically the world's most famous regional theme park, whereas Walt Disney World is really seen more as of an international resort, so it's not out of the question that we would see 
for the international press, some sort of media ah, event okay, okay. in August. But beyond that, I think you're right, that they'll concentrate their efforts on Rise of the Resistance when it opens, what, December 5th? Yeah, December 5th. Okay, cool. Also, Jim, speaking of Galaxy's Edge, we talked last week about the new Build-A-Lightsaber Spare Parts Program that's in effect in Disneyland where you can buy a couple of extra parts for your lightsaber after you've built it. And it looks like Disney's now added some new rules to it to thwart eBay scalpers. For now, you can only buy two extra parts only for the lightsaber type that you bought. And you have to have your original original lightsaber receipt for the purchase. Oh boy. So uh, I, I have this uh, this saying, like Laurel and I, were, uh, every once in a while, will say, the internet ruins everything. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of that. <laughs> example of stupid eBay. <laughs> In a lot of ways, this is, Black Spire Outpost is modeled after Mose Eisley, which, mm-hmm. again, you literally had Alec Guinness as Obi-Wan Kenobi looking down at a, you know, a hive of scum and villainy you've never seen You're before. supposed to be scalping. No, that's it exactly. <laughs> into the land. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so. Oh, Lord. Anyway. All right, Jim, uh, also last week, this is our last news item, I mentioned that I stayed at the uh, Grand Destino over at... Uh, Coronado Springs, mm. uh, and I did a review of the hotel, but we didn't talk about the restaurants because the show was getting a little bit long. Uh, let's do that now. So the okay. first place we ate at was a Toledo Tapas Steak and Seafood. Again, this follows Disney's tradition of now putting the entire menu in every restaurant name. <laughs> but the menu here is is interesting. And when I say interesting, I mean it both literally and figuratively. Literally because the menu comes as a fold-up pop-up book in three parts. It's not a traditional book based menu where you flip pages. Here it's um, three, the menu is divided in three separate sections, each of which has its back glued to a, like a cardboard backing volume. And then you flip up individual sections. So there's one for appetizers and then uh, there's one for, for entrees. And I think the other one is, is wine. I do not think that this menu is going to, uh, this menu in this form is going to last more than a year. I think people are going to find it confusing. I think it's very inventive. I applaud Disney for trying it. I'm just saying. I mean, I get it. It's a convention hotel, so there aren't going to be a lot of people with small children. But any parent yeah. who actually has a pop-up book knows that, you know, five, four, three, two, destroyed. It's definitely a, a bold design choice as far as menus go. The thing I think that we talked about with Grandestino last week was that a lot of this, a lot of the spaces mimic sort of the design of other brand uh, hotels around the country. And I think we talked about the JW Marriott San Antonio, which looks a lot like in terms of its public spaces, the Grand Destinos. And Disney's getting business travelers here. I understand the need to give business travelers a look and a feel that they're familiar with and things like that. Um, this menu is definitely not that, so we'll see how it goes. Anyway, the uh, open the, the appetizer section of the Toledo menu. And the first thing that struck me was you've got these bite-sized appetizers called Pinkstos. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm completely screwing up that name. I apologize. But what they are is uh, two-bite tapas, uh, and they're currently $3 each. And my first two thoughts on this were this. One, both of them to go with two-bite tapas. And number two, that $3 price point will be $4.50 soon enough. Mm. But I tried all of them. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, chilled marinated mussels. And all of these come on a, a small slice of toasted bread. Uh, another one is a traditional Spanish potato omelet with uh, serrano ham and olive relish. Another one is blue cheese with fig and honeycomb. Another one, and my favorite one, is the olive oil poached tuna with lemon. There's also an anchovy and manchego cheese, and then a uh, salt cod stuffed piquillo pepper. Of these, I thought all of them were good, the Spanish potato omelet being 
the uh, least tasty of them, but none of them were bad. For two bites, they were good. I, Laurel and I actually split each of them. So six of them for $18 probably make up one decent appetizer. That's about about right for them. I think they'll be $4.50 soon enough. The second group of items on the menu, uh, these things called cazuelas, which I, I believe are all of them are cooked in clay pots. So you get things like garlic shrimp or marinated olives with citrus garlic and crushed red pepper, or you get charred octopus, which I tried, braised chorizo, more stuffed piquillo peppers, and then a cheese uh, gratin. So I tried the charred octopus. This actually comes with a, a pretty bold tomato sauce and also lentils. And the thing that I liked about it was the octopus was cooked really, really well. Mm. Again, this was opening night where there were probably 100 Disney chefs um, <laughs> available. I'm not sure what it was like on, on night number two. Mm-hmm. They didn't order the charred octopus on night number two. But on night number one, it was done really well. Tomato uh, sauce was really well balanced, a nice hit of acidity. I thought the lentils added some interesting texture to the whole dish. And overall, it was good. The, the obvious comparison here for this particular dish is over at Tiffin's. Mm-hmm. I like Tiffin's a little bit better because it was a little bit more charred. Both of them were good. And at the $15 price point, I could definitely see ordering that again. If it goes to 20 like I believe it is at Tiffin's, mm-hmm. I would have second thoughts about it. The other thing that we tried on the uh, appetizer menu were the savory churros. Have you seen those? I've heard about these. These are churros, but instead of being covered in cinnamon and sugar, they're covered in herbs like uh, rosemary, thyme, parsley, and things like that, and then sprinkled with a bit of manchego cheese. So the first night uh, that we had them, they also came seasoned with a chorizo spice blend. And these were really good. This was like one of the first orders that were delivered to paying customers on the night that Grand Destino opened. The outside was crispy. The inside was tender. Exactly the right amount of flavoring. And I like them I liked them quite a bit for what they were. And I think they're relatively inexpensive too. The second night, we ordered them as well when we went to Dahlia Lounge. And by then, the quality had, had dropped substantially. So the outside was no longer crispy. There wasn't any chorizo seasoning. And my comment to Laurel at the time when we ate them was, these fried things had sat outside under a heat lamp in the Florida humidity long enough to where they, they lost their crunch. And I think that's going to be the tricky thing with that particular dish is trying to serve it fast enough mm-hmm. so that there's a crunch on the outside and it's still soft on the inside. Because otherwise it's just basically fried dough that's sat around. It had the, the second night it had more of the, the consistency of a donut mm-hmm. rather than something crispy. And the first night it was more crispy on the outside, tender on the inside. That's going to be the, uh, the tricky thing to do there. The other thing that we tried is the bread with tomato. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is grilled bread with crushed tomato, olive oil, and garlic. Haleo at Disney Springs has exactly the same dish for almost exactly the same price. I like the one at Haleo better. This one wasn't bad. But two sort of large points mm-hmm. about Toledo. Number one, the most obvious comparison for this restaurant is Haleo and Disney Springs. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same quality. Right, it's, it's just not going to be. Mm-hmm. It's a at a moderate resort. It's not going to compete with Jose Andres at all. But that said, I think it is better than the average Disney moderate resort mm-hmm. in terms of food, and I think maybe that's the best that they can hope for. So much of what's been set up over the Grand Destino as part of uh, you know Coronado is again convention hotel. You're these yeah. are places where you're supposed to be continuing the conversations, working the deal. That's half the setup of these places. 
are for business conversations to continue. And and do you get that feel with the Dolly Lounge? Or? The Dolly Lounge actually has a, a really nice space. Um, mm-hmm. So the one thing about about Toledo, and I didn't mention this, but the view mm-hmm. is just spectacular okay. from both sides. So as you walk in, imagine like a long rectangle um, with openings openings on both sides and just floor to ceiling windows the entire length of the uh, the restaurant. Really great views from everywhere. Same thing with the Dahlia Lounge. One entire side, mm-hmm. completely open, where you can see um, fireworks mm-hmm. at night. Lots of seating, indoor and outdoor seating. The service was excellent at both places. Dahlia Lounge has a limited um, menu. Basically, you can order the $3 appetizers from Toledo. I think then that's the extent of the food. The drink menu looked interesting. I wasn't drinking that night, so I didn't order any drinks. I think Laurel had one. She said it was good. Nothing really jumped at me on the drink menu. And when I say nothing jumped out at me, it's because the Barcelona Lounge on the ground floor uh, did have a really interesting drink menu. There, the menu at Barcelona can best be described as gin. Mm. Lots and lots of gin. (laughs) (laughs) I think the menu is very gin-focused. It's got a number of different drinks that all include gin. You can make your own gin and tonic. And the, the variety of gins that they've got are really great. We ordered a few drinks, and we were with friends this night. We were the few uh, friends who also had a few drinks, and the uh, the different aromas from all the different gins that were available was really really interesting to uh, to smell. Again, I wasn't drinking, but mm-hmm. they all looked very pretty and they smelled wonderful. Hmm. Got to check this place out. I did like Barcelona Lounge. It's colorful. Uh, mm-hmm. It wasn't very crowded the night that we went, and the menu looks to be really interesting. I like the idea of a lounge specializing in one kind of drink because it can do it very very well. Mm-hmm. All right, Jim, let's take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what happened on Disneyland's opening day. All right, Jim, we have talked about the uh, coming up soon opening of Galaxy's Edge in Walt Disney World and what's going to be ready and what's not going to be ready when it happens. And it reminded you of the time that Disneyland opened and there were things that were ready and there were things that were not what was that like? First of all, then let's clear up a popular misconception because everyone, you know, when you talk with them about Disneyland, they go, oh, it opened on July 17th, 1955. And no, that wasn't the opening day. That was the day that Walt held the Invitational Press Preview. In fact, you know, you were supposed to arrive at 2 and the event wasn't going to get started till 5.30. So the real opening day of Disneyland is July 18th. The park opened that morning at 10 a.m. and stayed open to 10 Meanwhile, if we want to talk about July 17th, the old Disneyland pros used to call that Black Sunday land. And that was largely because of the fact that Walt had originally envisioned this was going to be a wonderful 90-minute long live television spectacular. But to make sure that everything went according to plan, he limited the number of people who were going to come to the park. It was only going to be 6,000. Uh, They were largely going to be people who work for the company and their family members, along with a select number of celebrities who agreed to appear in the parade. So these 6,000 tickets go up. But the company that Disney hired to print the tickets, they had an employee who decided this could be lucrative. And so this guy printed up thousands of additional tickets. In fact, when they finished collecting them at the end of the day on July 17th, they had, in addition to the 6,000 real tickets, they had 22,000 
forgeries. And the thing is, wow, they were identical. So they clearly had been printed on the same level press and with the same sort of monogramming. So it wasn't a situation where the people at the gates could turn away the obvious forgeries. It was just sort of like, we have to honor all of these because we don't know which one are the fakes. And July 15th, July 16th, you have ABC in the park doing technical rehearsals for the live TV broadcast. and But the whole time, the you know, guys from ABC who are doing the rehearsal are like, oh, God, it's going to be tough to move from shot to shot. You know, but it's like, don't worry about it. Only 6,000 people. You know, and, and they're all friends the company. And they're all people who've worked in entertainment. So they're not going to know to get out of the way. They're going to know that to make this easy for us. And so, again, now we jump ahead to the day, actual day of the 17th. And here's these 22,000 other people in the park. And they don't know to get out of the way of a camera. In fact, they've never seen a television camera. So they're gawking at these things. Well, you know the story about how there was an asphalt strike in L.A. And in order to the get... The night before, they needed a ramp done? They had to go down to San Diego and persuade the asphalt holders of San Diego to come up and deliver the hot asphalt. And the thing is, that the union in Los Angeles did not look kindly on this. So among the people who came into the park that day was a disgruntled teamster with a hatchet. <laughs> and he actually wandered around backstage. Disgruntled teamster with hatchet is going to be my D&D character. I was talking with Drew Taylor the other day, and he was mentioning at the 60th anniversary of Disneyland back in May 22nd, 2015, they actually encouraged people to come dressed as if they, you know, they'd been to Disneyland in 1955. And all they're thinking is, I want to come. The next time they do this is a disgruntled teamster with a hatchet. You know, because it's like, <laughs> he was there. This was a guy wandering around. And that's why now, if you actually watch the uh, kinescope of the live broadcast, the fact that there are suddenly these shots where it's like, that doesn't tie in at all. What's going on? It's like, well, because... There's a guy backstage cutting camera cables and suddenly you don't have the shot you were going to use. You're back in the editing tent and it's like, go to go to Ronald Reagan. <laughs> now we jump ahead to the morning of the 18th and people have been lining up since two o'clock in the morning to get in. The folks who actually came into the park that day said Disneyland had this fascinating aroma where it was this combination of fresh paint, green, mm. newly cut lumber, and hot garbage. <laughs> and the hot garbage, again, was because of the 22,000 additional... It's like Flower and Garden meets Newark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what could these guests, these people who showed up and paid, the, you know, it was $1 for an adult to get in, and then you oh. had to buy tickets in the park. So what could you do? And surprisingly, not as much as you'd expect, Lynn, because... A lot of the stuff just wasn't open. The Rocket to the Moon, which Danny Thomas lies on national television. He does this thing where it's like, hey, we're here to go into this Tomorrowland attraction. They show him walking in with, with his daughter, Marlo, which, by the way, with her original nose. And then... <laughs> Jesus, Jim. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> She's Danny Thomas's daughter. All right, come on. All you know, right. work the math. All so, right. uh, All but right. anyway, that doesn't actually open 
till July 22nd. They can't get the thing to work. Uh, likewise, Casey Jr., which they show on the television that they have Jerry Colonna at the throttle taking a, a carload of guests around. and Just them. <laughs> no one else. They cut away just as Jerry, who'd never driven anything like this before. They're coming to the I think I can, I think I can hill. And he cuts back on the throttle and the train almost falls over backwards. Jerry, Jerry, what are you thinking? You know, what are you thinking, Jerry? That doesn't open to the public till July 31st. Likewise, the 20,000 Leagues walkthrough in Tomorrowland. Walt himself was in there on the night of the 16th, painting the black light stuff to try to get it <laughs> We're ready. We're talking about all hands on deck, Walt, Walt with a paintbrush. Yeah, and the Dumbo flying elephants. You would think that's literally concept art stuff. That's how they sell the park. They couldn't even get that up and running reliably till August 16th, almost a, a full month after the park opened. The Disney theme park purists who look at something like Galaxy's Edge and, oh, Walt would never open a, a new land at a theme park with a tra- you know, with an attraction that wasn't ready to go. And it's like, did you look at Tomorrowland? Uh, are you familiar with this thing called Disneyland? Yeah. yeah. yeah Tomorrowland, mean, <laughs> Tomorrowland was, was basically shell, a shell of all of its stuff when it oh. opened. I think it took, what, like 1959 until it was ready? Oh, God. I mean, the first six months there, it was literally who's coming at us with a check. And we'll put that in. I mean, you had things like the flight circle that were dropped in. You had things like the art corner. Again, aren't even remotely futuristic, but it's sort of like, okay, they fill gaps. Sure, let's do this. And then opening in December of 55. My all-time favorite attraction in Tomorrowland. Go ahead. (laughs) The Kaiser Aluminum Hall of Fame. It just doesn't get better, Jim. It just doesn't get better. If you think about it (laughs) from positioning, you, you come into the park. It's literally on the right as you enter Tomorrowland. It is, sure. it's the marquee position. It's where Star Tours, the adventures continue today. Oh so yeah, yeah, yeah. Even Kaiser thought it was a terrible attraction. They had signed a five-year contract with Disney and by the time the executives went through it and it's just sort of like, okay, so you enter through a, a telescope made out of polished aluminum and you get, a, you, you get to watch the smelting process for... Mmm, smelting. And get to meet, of course, the character that Disney came up with is the host, Cap the Pig, because, of course, so purified aluminum is made in molds and you know, pigs of aluminum. The molds are called pigs. Yes, 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 yes. Two years into the run, Kaiser's like, we want out. <laughs> you know what? This isn't working for us. <laughs> and, and Walt himself evidently gets involved. Like, no, 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 no. Come on. Hang in there. Five, we'll do this five years. Come on, guys. And if you think that the heavily corporate sponsored message, not exactly elegantly told attraction debuted with Epcot, you're wrong. It was on Walt's watch. Mm. If you think that Walt would never have opened the land with an attraction that wasn't ready or, or for that or an attraction that wasn't built. Again, look at Tomorrowland. So, you know, just cut the guys who were working on Rise of the Resistance a little slack. That does put it in perspective, Jim. It does, doesn't yep. it? I hope so. And disgruntled teamster with a hatchet, that's my costume for the 70th. All right. <laughs> Nobody's so wearing the not so scary Halloween party this year. There we go. All right. I'll have to find something else. Maybe I'll go as uh, Cap the Pig now. Oh, I got to find a costume for it. Ooh, okay. As soon as we're done, I'm going to I'm gonna look to see if, uh, if there's any video of this mascot. <laughs> Okay. on YouTube, and Please. then I'm going to break break out the uh, the sewing machine. My ride's here, Lynn. Um, <laughs> that's what I get for living above a fire station. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish podcast today. For more of us, head on over to disneydish.bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, 
And don't forget, we're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, an honorary crustacean for the 8th annual Boston Seafood Festival coming up on August 8th. Bring lots of butter. And don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.